0: Hi, I'm Wendy Francis, nutrition therapist, emotional eating expert, and entrepreneur. I've helped countless people overcome their obsession with food and weight. Isn't it time you overcame what you had become and ignite who you were meant to be? Your time to become an overcomer starts now. Thank you again for joining me on the Overcoming Emotional Eating Podcast. In today's episode, I'll talk about breaking free from emotional patterns, delving into beliefs and other processes that we have in order to really help you move over and beyond what you do to come into who you're meant to become. I speak a lot about that in my book, Shattering the Belief Code, and truly believe understanding our patterns Can free us from our past. Take a listen and keep on overcoming. We're going to be talking about breaking
1: emotional patterns. Now, why would I be talking about that? And if you haven't heard either my podcast before, Overcoming Emotional Eating, or been on one of these calls with me uh, before, you might not know why I'm talking about emotional patterns, but really, truly, In order to talk about the emotional component of eating, we have to talk about emotions. Emotional eating is not about the food or the what we eat, although that can be a small component, but the emotional eating part is much more about the emotional part, the psychological part. It's much more about the why of the what we eat that's most important. But I always hope my intention in making uh, the content for these calls is really also so that you can take this content and bring it into your life. It's really not just about food because we know that food and life are completely congruent. What we do in our food and our personality that we construct in our food and our eating is absolutely congruent to our personality in life. It's astounding. So my hope and intention in doing all of these calls is although many of them focus around emotional eating or the emotional component of eating is that I also want and desire for you all to be able to use this in your life and in your relationships with yourself and with other people because of that congruency. But tonight we'll be talking about emotional patterns, and you'll see how those can relate to your food, and we'll talk a little bit about how they'll relate to your life. First and foremost, we need to figure out what our emotional patterns are. It's not something that we talk about a lot. I've heard many people talk about their emotions. What emotion am I feeling? It's something I've Taught clients for years, you know, what, what are you feeling? And many of you may have seen the, the, the plethora of lists that are out there on Google on um, different emotions, uh, what, what to name them, so to speak. And so this is not just about understanding and knowing the emotion, but then really recognizing how those emotions can cascade you into patterns. And that's what I want to really focus on tonight. We need to figure out our emotional patterns, what they are, why we do them, how and where they came from. These patterns impact how we eat, how we feel about our eating, even how we relate to our bodies, ourselves, and other people. So really recognizing what our emotional patterns are can radically change how we live in the world. We know that patterns develop because our needs were not met. Now, as parents, and I'm a parent now, I get that we can't be perfect. In in, in fact, I'm reminded a lot by a lot of my friends, because maybe I keep trying really hard, but I'm reminded a lot that we are really, just as a parent, we're real, really still human beings. But in that, we know that when we don't meet the needs of our children, that patterns develop. And I'm not talking about parents that are doing their best. Um, I'm talking about maybe parents that are doing the best that they can in the moment, but that are underserving their children. And, and or maybe as a child, we were underserved. So we know that patterns develop because certain needs of ours were not met. And unknowingly, we develop patterns as children to protect ourselves from the hurt in our world, whether that's a hurt from parents, siblings, friends, society, etc. It is a form of survival. Once we find the need that wasn't filled though, we can heal that initial wound. And, and, and that's going very deep, but I want you to see that all things can be healed. When the wound is healed, the pattern naturally disappears. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about that, but then I'm also gonna help you to work with the pattern because sometimes getting into the need can be elusive for people. And I totally understand that because I've been alluded, uh, I've been in an elusive patterns before. So I want you to hear both ends of the spectrum. To begin, let's identify what the psychological needs are. And we have six of them. And so when one of these six or a number of these six were not met for us, we develop coping mechanisms. And sometimes, in fact, for my clients, more often than not, obviously, these, uh, these patterns would move into food, into eating, into not eating, into body shame, into body shaming others, um, into uh, body dysmorphia, and the list can go on and on. But when we look at these six psychological needs, I want you to think for yourself, what in your background has not been met when it comes to these six? So first, is the feeling of safety. Now we know that at the age of five and under is where we really need these needs to be met. The need for safety is eminent and prominent for most children, it's a top priority. And safety can be external or internal. So what I mean by that is a parent even having emotional outbursts regularly a parent with addiction a parent with alcoholism all of those can disenable a child from feeling safe in their environment second trust trust is another need that we have when we're young and if it's not met we can do something we we may lack trust in ourselves if we don't trust our caregivers our friends, or ourselves with our food or other parts of our life, then we will not get this need met. I'll give you a prime example. I've worked with many clients, unfortunately, who had caregivers that weren't really trustworthy with their feeding when they were young. Maybe didn't feed them enough or maybe overfed them out of their own need for abundance with food. And so that distrust with self and or others in feeding becomes prominent. Self-esteem is another need that, uh, another psychological need that we have to have met and when it doesn't, it can develop into a pattern. Confidence, esteem, getting praise from others and learning how to praise ourselves is imperative in self-development. Number four, Independence. Independence is a psychological need. Independence in food and eating is a big thing for me, and it was in my private practice, in learning how to help parents let their child become independent in their feeding again as they began to work in a recovery pattern. And independence in child feeding. Because if we don't learn how to become independent in our food And our eating, we dysregulate when we get older. Number five, intimacy. The ability to deeply connect with ourselves or others in a healthy and safe way is a psychological need. And when it's not met, we will move into a disaltered pattern. Now, intimacy, when I said the ability to deeply connect with ourselves, that is radically underserved. Unfortunately, we're not taught to really connect with ourselves. One of the greatest gifts that I had, although I didn't think it was at the time, was that I was an only child. I was alone a lot when I was young, a, a lot, probably maybe more than I should have been. However, what that allowed me to do is to really develop an intimate connection with myself first, because I didn't have a lot of swaying from others. Now there's drawbacks to that too, but I think that that is radically underserved and it's something I picked up on a lot because it was a need that was actually served for me when I was young. And number six is control. We do have a psychological need for feeling in control in our environment and in our food. So when my children were really young because I knew about all these psychological needs and I I am blessed. I'm not saying I'm the average person, but the more I can get my message out there to help parents, the more I will. Um, The earlier that I could give my kids control over their feeding, the earlier I did it. As soon as they could get that spoon to their mouth. Um, or, uh, I remember with my daughter, I gave her, um, I would c- overcook apples. I would take slices of apples and I would overcook them, bake them, and she would be able to pick them up with her little tiny hands and get them to her own mouth so that I could give her a sense of control and independence with her food and her eating. So you see, when we don't have any of these psychological needs met, we develop emotional patterns. They can be born out of any of these number of these uh, six psychological needs. And our emotional patterns can also meet certain needs as well. So I'm going to give you, so that's the backstory of our six psychological needs. And when they're not met, we develop emotional patterns. And those emotional patterns then can also meet certain needs. The list goes on. I mean, it's a, it's a tangled web we weave when it comes to our emotions, right? So it needs like certainty. If we know that a certain feeling leads to a certain pattern, man, do we feel good and do we feel certain? If we know that a, an emotional pattern leads to uncertainty or variety, we're going to hold on to that pattern. For some people, emotional patterns can make us feel significant, gives us significance in the world. For other people, emotional patterns can lead to a feeling of connection with oneself or others. So you see, we develop emotional patterns out of uh, certain psychological needs not being met, and then those patterns can meet other needs. Wow. Can you see the tangled web we weave when it comes Our emotions. So here's how an emotional pattern might look. Because I realize a lot of us understand what an emotion is, but maybe not what an emotional pattern might look like. And and patterns are something I'm really passionate about. In fact, I was just reminded the other day of how much I talk about patterns. Because patterns to me are like this really cool puzzle that enables us to really unlock ourselves and our own inner wisdom magically by really recognizing what those patterns are. So here's an example so you can understand. And I've, I've, as I mentioned earlier, I've worked with many clients who didn't trust themselves with their hunger and their fullness. And we may have related it back to a caregiver who didn't necessarily know their cues when it came to hunger and fullness. Can think of one in particular whose uh, whose caregiver didn't recognize her feeling of hunger and more so fullness and would overfeed her so much so that she would actually throw up out of the uh, overconsumption that she had. And this was at a very small age. And so as she got older, was constantly given too much food, and that just enabled her to really trust herself with her hunger and fullness and she got really confused really early on and developed early onset anorexia and bulimia and wasn't sure when it was right to eat and if it was, how much to eat, and so she overate sometimes and then would purge and sometimes would undereat and move into restriction. And so the reality was that lack of trust with hunger and fullness led her not to really understand what to do with her food and her feeding as she got older. And then when she did eat those nurturing foods, she would do that to get the need met of love and connection. Sometimes to get the need met of uncertainty and variety because of the lack of distrust. But that's how an emotional pattern might That's the core or underlying piece of what an emotional pattern might look like. Here's how it might look on the surface, right? Somebody might be scared or mistrust something or somebody in the world. Something is scary, a fear is coming up. And so that feeling would then lead that person to have a desire to eat out of fear and loneliness They would begin then to start to think about food, what to eat, what would taste good right now, what do I really want to have in my mouth, what would that be like, what would be pleasurable or what can I connect with or maybe what's so intense of a flavor that I'm thinking about that right now more than I'm thinking about my fear. You see, connection and intimacy start with ourselves, not with others. And if we're connected deeply with ourselves, no other connection can really exist. This is our human plight. And so when we really understand our emotional patterns, as I've just given you some examples of those, it enables us to really fly in our humanness because we can really connect with who we are, what we're feeling, and then what pattern does that lead to? So once we find our emotional patterns, what do we do? What what do we what do we do with these things? You know, and first, you've got to find them, right? Because again, a lot of people are understand much more now than ever about what an emotion is sad, angry, scared, lonely, frustrated. Some people have to be coached and or learn in therapy actually how to identify their emotions. They might know the word, but they don't know how it feels. And then further, right now, I'm asking you to go one more step down that path. Further, find the emotional pattern. So first, you've got to dive in. Take the leap. It's not as scary as you think. What six psychological needs were not met for, met for you? Was there any that weren't met for you when you were younger? And then how does that impact now your relationship with your food, your body, your life? When you're finding and diving into those, I ask that you keep out things like guilt, resentment, uh, or any of those what I call blatant underscores of emotion because it disenables you from really finding those needs. But just to look at it from an objective viewpoint, what if the sticks were not met for you? And then how did that impact your relationship with your food, your body and your life? And then take it and define it concretely in black and white on a piece of paper. When I feel this, then I do that, which leads to this which gives me the feeling of that. I'll say it again, because that's really what a pattern is about, right? When I feel this, then I do that, which leads to this, which gives me that need or that feeling. Third, identify what triggers that cascade of events. Is it environmental? So is it always in a certain place in your house? Or is it always in your house? Or is it always when you're with a certain person? Is it emotional? Is it when I feel this, then I do that? Is it an emotional trigger? Is it a food-based trigger? So is it if you start to eat a certain food, does that then trigger feelings that trigger a cascade of events? Or is it physical? Is it a physical feeling? I actually go into a whole section on triggers on a new online course we're going to be releasing here in the next month called Ending Your Emotional Eating E3. It's going to be a new online course we're developing to help people with their emotional eating in a more intense and productive way. And I talk about those triggers. But then you've got to deal with the triggers. What I'd like to do is begin at the beginning to find an end. Right? You've got to begin at the beginning to find an end. So if you figure out what the triggers are, you can find alternative ways to work with the triggers. Emotional, food, physical, environmental, find an alternate way to work with that trigger. And you can use prompts to help you change the trigger. So if you know that every time you walk in your living room and you sit down in your recliner, that you're going to get up and get some food because you've got an environmental trigger in that recliner, well, maybe you put a book on that recliner that makes you think about this pattern. Maybe you move the recliner out of that room altogether so you can see what it's like to not even have that chair in that room, right? You can change the prompts. You can put in a prompt. You can take out a, a trigger, and that could be the prompt. You can put sticky notes down, journals, pictures, sayings, quotes. I've even had clients wear wristbands around their wrist and kind of snap the wristband to remind them of what they're doing in that moment. Number six, ride the wave. So if you're feeling emotion and you're moving through the pattern, even if you stop yourself just at the emotion, and don't move into the concrete patterns, let that emotion crash. Let it go up, let it come down, let it crash and move into surf, and go back out to the ocean. Emotions are really amazing because they're a ride. We forget that. We forget that they're... Just a ride, and they ebb and flow, and they don't stay forever. So, if you catch the trigger of the emotion, ride the wave. Don't go through the pattern, surf it out. Because that enables you to trust yourself, love yourself, and then reward yourself. Because it's in this learning, this growth and this change. This is the overcoming. And this is what enable you to actually break free from those emotional patterns that drive your eating and your relationship with your food, your body, and yourself.
0: Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend. Rate, review, and subscribe. You never know who you'll help become the next overcomer.